I'm Rob Hopkins, and this is Imagination Taking Power, a podcast where I share with you conversations, insights, and aha moments on my journey towards writing a book about imagination. Close to where I live is a project called Landworks. Landworks describes itself as an independent charity providing a supported route back into employment and community for those in prison or at risk of going to prison. I often walk my dog past it, and from the road you can see their polytunnels, a beautiful cob wall with roundwood pole roof, their vegetable beds, and many of the things they make are for sale in their beautiful roadside shop. Landworks began in 2013, and over that time, 60 men and 4 women have spent up to 9 months there, learning new skills and taking part in their programme. In our last post here, Robert McFarlane suggested that, in some ways, imagination is a function of privilege. So what are the links between trauma, anxiety, poverty and the imagination? What does prison do to the imagination? How might cultivating the imagination play a role in rehabilitating people in prison? What might more imaginative approaches to prison look like? Approaches which are land-based, practical and creative. I popped along to Landworks to chat to Chris Parsons, who started Landworks five years ago and who still runs it. I started by asking him to give me an introduction to Landworks and what it does. Fundamentally, we're trying to allow people to get back into community and employment. Um, Men and women who've been in prison or are in the criminal justice system. Um, The the ethos, I suppose, really, it's it's about, as much as anything is about community, it is about forming good individual relationships here. Um, And that's often something that hasn't happened in in people's lives. or if it has, the prison system may well have crushed that to a certain extent. Um, but we do that. We do this through a number of means. Um, we use market gardening, um, woodworking, pottery, uh, charcoal production, compost production as our work structure, the framework of the day, um, in which we weave sort of softer skills, social skills. We cook every day and eat communally together. Again, that's something that doesn't happen in the prison. You, you, you tend to pick up your, your tray of food and take it back to your prison, eat on your own. Rarely will you eat together. And actually, for a lot of people who come out from the community, their, their home lives doesn't allow them to eat together. So that's a real keystone of the day. Um, we, as I said before, building personal individual relationships is, or I suppose, good trusting relationships. Getting, gaining trust is very important. It takes someone up to two months here before maybe sometimes a bit longer, to build a trusting relationship. And I think once you've got that, then change can happen. Once someone believes that there is a, the possibility of change, then you can work together and, uh, and encourage them to move forward. Um, I, think the very is, I think there is a theory of change that exists here. Um, so again, I think it's quite simple. <laughs> I think it is broadly built around trust and someone believing in you. And as I mentioned earlier... Um, before doing starting landworks, I thought I wasn't sure about hope and the term hope. Um, I think I'd muddled it up in some sort of religious context, I think, and uh, maybe I rather arrogantly didn't think that hope was in my life, I suppose. I don't know. But having seen people who are probably at their lowest points in their life and struggling to even think about moving forward, you do need a sense of hope and you do need some belief or you need someone to believe in you. And I think you do need hope that the future could could be better. 
I haven't met anyone here yet who I don't, haven't liked or found something to like in them. And I haven't met anyone who's taken part in this who, who, who don't want to make their life or, or other, li- other lives better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're, they're often held back. We allow them to very much encourage people to form a, a, a non-criminal identity here and, and to have imagination to do that, to be allowed to have the freedom to think about that, I think, is, is quite unusual. Certainly it doesn't happen in the prison system where you're very much held. Um, each day is the same. There's a, there's a um, repetitive regime there. You're constantly told that you're a criminal, that you will be forever thought of as being criminal. So to come to a place like Landworks, we, we, we actually encourage you to explore the future, that there may, the very basic point, there may even be a future for you. Mm. Is something. Um, and what's your what's your background? How what 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 led you to what led you to doing this to to start? So well, I I my I thought I was going to be a farmer when I left school. Uh, I was born in Aberdeen, and um, I kind of worked my way south, working on farms and agriculture, until about the age of twenty five, when I decided I didn't think there was a future in farming for me. Um, so I came to a college near Newton Abbot called Seal Hain, which is mm. still there, but not an agricultural college. And I did a, um, they did a, a management course there for a year, which I did. And I started up a landscaping company near Totnes. Um, and as that kind of grew, I employed, well, the first lad I properly employed, actually, was an ex-heroin addict who had an alcohol problem. Um, Probably not your ideal employee, really, but it worked well for him, and outdoor life was great, and that and that worked. And he he went he stayed with us for about six or seven years, and went through rehab a couple of times. Um, and we, as, as as the business grew, we kind of took on people who were great stone walls or great carpenters, um, others with great imagination for doing design and goodness knows what. But always people who uh, perhaps got the wrong side of the law. Uh, some drugs issues, alcohol problems, and that kind of built up over the years. Um, so we we ended up employing about 14 people, and always two or three of them would have been having difficulties, possibly more. Um, and then I started taking men from Channing's Wood on the day of release, um, and I managed to get someone to help me sponsor the first person to come through on that system. So literally on the day of release, we would meet um, a young lad who's coming out and he would then join what was rather an odd band of, I suppose, middle class people working away in South Devon. And I think for some of these guys, it must have been absolutely terrifying those first few days because they, they um, had no idea what was going on, used to urban, Birmingham urban criminal background and then to find themselves in the middle of beautiful South Devon. <laughs> people talking all sorts of things uh, but it worked and I think the reason why it worked is because it, there was a mix and they were able to believe that they could be part of something again and I started to realise then that was quite key very simple but, but it really was key almost on the very first day it happened we the, the very first day the very first man from Channingswood came to work with us we sat down to have a break at about 10 10 30 and suddenly there were two camps. There was me and Carl having our sandwiches and everyone else moved to the right to have their sandwiches. And I thought, Christ, I've, this is not working at all well. This is a terrible mistake I've made. And poor Carl 
thought he was going to be beaten up. I think he was terrified. Um, and then by lunchtime, the two sides had moved together. And by the end of the day, jokes and stories were being swapped. And I, I think that was the, probably was the basis of all of this, actually, that it, it was just seeing it happen. And Carl then started to believe he could do stuff. Um, and it, interestingly, as those that happened, that, that period of time was, I suppose, two or three years we kept taking people at the point of release. Um, some lads were reasonably skilled and others just weren't. But it, it, it struck me it wasn't about the practical skills. We could sort that out. It was actually, it was really social skills. Or what prison had done to them, the, um, mm. the institutionalism, inst becoming institutionalised, uh, dealing, dealing with authority, dealing with a bank, trying to, and there were so many hurdles put in people's place. So to set up a bank account, how do you get, how can you evidence who you are? You've left prison, how can you prove who you are? You, you, you don't have any ID. Um, so I started to think that, although what I think what we were doing was good and it was certainly helping people on the way, there needed to be more. You had to have a halfway house. There had to be something between prison and the real world. To expect someone to come through the gate at prison and just walk out and get a job was absolutely impossible. Um, Sorry, that's, that's all right. I thought it was mine, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was really the basis of, of thinking about Landworks, um, and the the, I, the basic idea that if people mix together, it's probably going to be all right. Mm -hmm. So we do that a lot here. We invite people to come to have lunch with us, and um, people from all walks of life come here. Um, we've had high court judges. We've had people who are just interested. People who want to come and cook with us, and there's a lot of story swapping about lives going on. People are always interested. A, people are hugely interested in a prisoner's life. Um, and I, I, I'm sort of terrified slightly of the voyeurism of that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We work quite hard to sort of not have that. We all wear the same shirt, or predominantly we all wear the same shirt, which is, the, the idea behind that is they don't know if I'm the prisoner or, or, or the guy sitting next to you is the, the project manager, and so it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it works to, to an extent. I think it does help. Um, but it, again, it's come, come back to that mix to be feeling accepted, to imagine that you can be somebody else, that you can get back into the community that you've hurt. And mm -hmm. people talk a lot about this. When, they, when lads first come here, they'll say, well, you know, I didn't really do it. Or <laughs> I dealt a load of drugs. It's very lucrative. I'm not changing my ways. Or I was set up by the cops. Or... They'll give you a sugar-coated version of their crime mm. that they were never quite involved with. And then as time moves on, you start to get to where they're actually admitting and they want to admit that they did wrong. Um, and I think it's at that point that things can change. And it's around that point that trust has built enough that they will say, that they feel able to say, look, I really fucked up here. This is, I got in a right state. I was in a terrible mess. Um, and if anything... A prison may have lifted them out of a dreadful situation. I think that's where we we I think that's where as we society let people down because prison does take people out of a dreadful situation. It, it very often is the the last safety net. Mm, yeah. um, but we lift them out of that situation and just put them in a place three four. They're going to be for three or four years and now do nothing or 
pitifully very little to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a terrible wasted opportunity. So what? Um, so I wonder if if you could, if you had any reflections on the on the sense of when people come here or when you know when people have ended up in prison, how would you evaluate the state of health of their imagination at that point? I mean, obviously it's not going to be a, no, a scientific data driven no, thing, but what do you feel? That's an interesting question. I think looking back. Um, I would say that <clears throat> this isn't imagination yet, but I would say pretty much, I think actually 100% of people who've arrived here have had some sort of mental health issue. Varying degrees, but whether it's from um, drug use or, 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 or childhood or a mixture of everything. Um, I think just going through prison uh, causes tremendous shock and I think a lot of people have symptoms of post-traumatic stress just from the experience of the mm. criminal justice system. So you arrive here in that state, um, you're pretty broken really, and you may not have a lot of support, You haven't. It's, it's unlikely you've come from a very supportive background in the first place where you've been encouraged to, to imagine that life could be different or, or, or or even had that, you know, someone behind you that, that that's going to actually ignite your imagination and let things fly a little bit. That probably hasn't happened mm. um, since school. Since school, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you will have learnt a lot of techniques to protect yourself. You're probably wearing a sort of emotional armour that takes a, a long time to come off. Mm. Um, so. I think people's imaginations have been squashed through through that time in prison, and actually, not it's not just prison. It, it, it's the in in the community you we we see people who time and time again uh, they get in they get into small amount of trouble, slightly bigger amount of trouble, and they're pushing against the system all the time. And the system's handing out sentences to them, or society's handing out sentences to them, but they become this uh, a subclass, I suppose is one way of looking at terming it, who believe that they cannot play a part in what we, we are all doing. And it seems to me that as a society we're very happy to say, I don't really want to think about you lot, uh, let's put you over there and class you as either other or class you as prisoner or mm. criminal, <coughs> we don't have to consider you. Um, and by doing that, the whole thing becomes terribly black and white. Mm. We don't look at the individual in there. And out of all the people who've been here, they've come with many different issues, very many common issues. But you, you could never say you could never say, look, here's a prescriptive re- resettlement or rehabilitation package because everyone is so their needs are so different, mm. and that possibly ties into imagination and whether. Uh, perhaps what level they're at or, or what stage they're at in either starting to imagine a different life or, or have a or have hope in that <laughs> that, mm. that life might be able to be a reality. I interviewed someone called, it's, it's, uh, it reminds me of someone I interviewed the other week called Sally Weintraub, who's a psycho, psychoanalyst, I think. Yeah. She talked about uh, that we live in a culture of uncare. 
Yes. And that that's one of the key things that is sort of squashing people's imagination. I think yes. that, that actually is sort of, you know, we saw with Windrush, we see yes. all the stuff coming out, that yes. there's this increasing sense that the people who are designing the world around us yeah. <coughs> really don't care very much. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, yeah. it feels like the people mm. you're talking about, that has been their experience. Yes. There are very little of... I think it's been uncared for. <coughs> We're often, towards the end of someone's time here, they all they often want to say thank you, but 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 a lot of it is it it, it it's around because you cared. Someone cared for me, mm. uh, and, I, and that is a very significant. It that is a that is very significant to them, mm. which is interesting. Cause something I, you know, I, I I feel very fortunate in my childhood, and I think I did feel mm. cared for, and, and and was able to go and do other things. So to, to to try and understand that is is difficult. I do take that point actually that we we aren't we aren't a very caring society. Mm-hmm. So when people arrive here with 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 their imagination sort of shrunk, as it were, yeah. Or, what what for you have have over the time of doing this seemed to you the best ways to. To, to get that working again? I suppose allowing people to take part in things has been a big thing. Um, and it's it's very often very small things. So um, to be allowed, for someone to be allowed to use a screwdriver or a standing knife, um, certainly for, if they're coming out on day release from prison, is a, is a huge thing. So I suppose you're saying, look, I trust you. This is going to be all right. Um, and that and then allows them to take part in things. And then... I think when they feel they can take part in something, then they feel perhaps they might come up with an idea, I'd like to try and build um, a bit of cob. That'd be quite a good example. Um, and that starts an imagination to go. I think work in the art department has been tremendous. It's given, allowed people to express themselves where perhaps they, in a very different way, perhaps for the first time ever. Um, and I think that allows imagination to start. Um, very often they'll go, I can't do this. Really, I'm not interested, I can't do it. And then a few hours later, something will be emerging. And that's, mm. that's very exciting when that happens. Um, listening to bits of chat. Well, it's, it's quite hard because we see it every day. So I imagine if, if, if I, you know, you could jump six months to see how someone had progressed here. I think that would be interesting to do. Um, that's not a very helpful thing to say. <laughs> and then, and presumably, you know, like working with working outdoors and working with plants, yeah, and yeah. feeling part of and yeah. part of nature and cooking, all of those things, very much. Yeah. Cooking for some, cooking for a group of people and receiving some thanks, I think, is is, is a very big thing for people mm-hmm. who've never done that before. It's interesting about growing plants. It, it's fair to say, I think, that I don't know if many people have arrived here and thought, "Ooh, I'm going to plant some cabbages." Um, <laughs> So it's taken a bit to enthuse them to do that. Then they harvest the cabbage, and then we put it on the stall and we sell it for a quid or whatever. And at that point, people go, all right, this is quite interesting. <laughs> so there's some enterprise there, which I quite like. And often it's the drug dealers who are, okay. who are capable of making... The entrepreneurs. Well, they, they, they're often very good at numbers. They are quite entrepreneurial, but in a really... I mean, actually, dealing drugs isn't very difficult. It's, it, it, if you're very good at it, you don't get caught. Yeah. <laughs> that's the clever bit but those who do it um, it's it's just easy it's so easy 
you know, I mean, they, they're literally making three, four hundred pounds a day for a few hours working. Um, you could jump on a train and go to Liverpool and do a package for someone through and quit and or more. Mm. So, uh, um, but but I think they, I think it's that sense of enterprise that 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 that, that actually ignites something for them. Um, and I quite like it because it's a fairly wholesome thing, isn't it? You you grow it from your seed and we, we sell it as a little end product and. Even the charcoal making, which is quite a magical process, really. Uh, people at the end of it are going, oh, wow, so this is what you put on your barbecue. And you go, yeah, yeah, great. And we've made it from something, that, uh, offcuts from wood from the workshop. And um, mm. So I think all of this does fire imagination. Uh, addicts, um, for instance, making this table, um, a heroin addict very often will... will, will, will will spend hours just working a piece of wood down, almost, you know, if you let them go, probably sand the whole thing down to nothing. So. <laughs> but they do, they seem to derive a great deal of satisfaction from, from this. I don't, I haven't quite worked out why that is, but but, but heron addicts in particular. Um, and I, yet again, I think that they allow them themselves something, like them do something. So that that's kind of imagination, mm. I think. And it's that thing of, of so, of the... One of the so a lot of the research around it that, that that thing that when you when your hippocampus is shrunk or damaged that you lose that ability to to imagine the future yeah. and it feels like you have a process that people come into yeah. at a point where they really the future feels fairly hopeless or even if yep. they can look at that yep. Yep. to a point where they're able to be kind of up and looking forward and making some plans would that be fair no very fair I think. <coughs> And, and sometimes it gets, you, the imagination goes wild, and they're suddenly thinking, "You're right, well, I could be an astronaut, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have a mansion in Top Nest or something." So, there's, um, but yeah, you are right. It, it, that it and it it takes somewhere between six and nine months, I think, really, for this to work. Of quite intensive interaction. <laughs> <laughs> We then get to the stage, actually, then you have to move people on to the next stage, which is the real world. And that can be quite hard going. But mm. um, we have sort of more, we kind of have a tapering support here. So you can be in contact. Well, people have been in contact now for five years, will periodically phone up or I'll send a text. Um, just checking in, seeing how we are. And in those early days after they've left here, well, they check in quite a lot, and then so it's less, and da 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 da, until it's just once ever so often, but that is very, very important. Mm. Um, we have one lad who turns up, uh, I didn't realise this, I was working here one Saturday afternoon doing some writing and then I needed to get a bit of, bit of fresh air and I went down to the, the field gate and there's a car outside and I could see the occupants and they're waving at me and I look and it was a, a lad called um, Tommy and his wife and uh, they said they come out on Saturday and Sundays occasionally just so Tommy can check it's still here. I was amazed, wasn't it? Yes, so yeah, it's a really lovely thing, and I thought, well, how lovely for him as well. And so he needs that stability. He just wants to check we're here. He had this was a good place for him mm. out of all the shit he's been through. So that so you 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 create a, a space as well where people feel safe, yeah, and yeah. and and secure while they're here. Yeah. So are there any kind of key ingredients? To doing that, yeah, it's very non-judgmental. Um, it's been described as a safe place to be vulnerable, which I think is 
about right actually to allow yourself to be vulnerable is, is quite a rare experience certainly in the, in, in, mm. in, that, in the prison system it, it's quite a tranquil place um, I think we've probably worked quite hard at it really perhaps almost subconsciously I mean just that, that belief that you, you're sort of doing the right thing but you don't quite know why or how you're doing it you're just doing it I think that's very important um, I think that comes back from um, your own life experiences so you, mm. I do find I think I think I rely very heavily on that and so I just certainly in the early days I just thought I was doing the right thing so I thought getting people to sit down and eat shoe make a soup was a really good thing to do and in fact I don't know how many of them really liked it but it, it worked it set it set the idea that we were going to eat together mm -hmm. when, we, when we first started we had a little picnic table outside and uh, we was all crammed around it and uh, Schumacher were lovely to us and to help out would make us or let us have a bit of their soup and would make wonderful salads you know. um, and we had a carrot and strawberry salad one day which was just too much for these guys <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah so <coughs> hello hello, hello. I'm ready whenever you are if you need any advising That'd be great. Is Aidan around? No, do you want me to even call? Who he is? Yeah, his phone will be down, I think. Do you want to take oh, my phone? Your phone is done. Uh, yes. Oh, sorry, am I interrupting something? Sorry. If I set it ringing, Sarah? Yeah. Oh, dear, I want to speak to his mum. She, she probably won't answer, <laughs> but that's yeah. a bit odd. Thanks. Um, do you need to go? Have you got no, we'll be right for a few minutes. Okay. Yeah. So one of the questions I've asked everybody is, if you had been elected Prime Minister in the last <laughs> election and you'd run on a platform of <coughs> make Britain imaginative again, so mm. you'd thought, actually a big problem we have here is that our imagination is in shreds at a time when it needs to be really, really firing on all cylinders, what might you do in your first hundred days in office? Wow. I think I would go, my inclination would be to go straight to the schools, education I think, um, and I would sort something out there. I don't think my own school in Aberdeen allowed you to have much of an imagination. Um, that's something I've regretted. Mm. Uh, I think I was quite fortunate. That didn't, that didn't totally influence my life, actually. But um, I think that's what I would do. I would make... I would look at prison in a very different way. I would stop the Daily Mail punishment. And uh, the, the idea that people need to be punished, and I think we could turn it, that people there could be seen as a resource and we should look at the way we feel we have to have punishment in a very different way. Many of the people who are in prison just simply should not be there. It's a complete waste of time. Mm, yeah. um, but I think it's in childhood where imagination should be allowed to spark and fire and flourish. Mm. And if you have it then, I think you probably have it in tied up life. Mm. I think certain things do crush it. Yeah. And the, namely, 
the crushing. Yeah. Well, I see it in the prison, the criminal justice system a lot. I see society crushing. We, 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 we seem to almost pick on people who are struggling to make ends meet and live in difficult situations, and we, we somehow blame them for it. Um, and that just seems to be increasing at the moment, and mm. I cannot understand that. I find mm. that quite difficult. It's they're always their fault. They've been given a chance. They didn't take it. This sort of the the the. Um, you know, I suppose conservative values in a way that, that that they should. And to be given what, I think to be given one chance, it, it it's wrong. People need more than they just. You just need chances. You need people to believe in you, and you do fail. We all fail, and that should be more acceptable. Yeah. And, um, so, so, so if, so what you what you've created here is something that that that, it, that that could be a template for for how most people's <coughs> prison experiences could be. I think so. Without, yes. So, so we like in a in a kind of a, in in an ideal richly imaginative future yeah we could imagine prison as, as as being less like our current idea i mean in in, in america there's this whole extraordinary mm. and here increasingly this kind of prison abolition movement which yes, is saying yeah. we just need to get do away with the whole idea yeah, of prison yeah. because it's deeply abusive and traumatizing yes. for people who are already abused and traumatized yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and why send people who are who are accused of who are convicted of sex abuse yep. to a yep. place which is actually the biggest institutional sex abuser in the, in yep. the country yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, where's, what's your sense of is the, 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 the mix of something, you know, but then obviously there are like people like Ian Brady who, yep. or people who are, yep. Yep. You know, what, what would the mix look like of custodial, yeah. something like this? Yeah, you, if you if you were the prisons minister and you could create a twenty year plan, my twenty year plan. I think you're right. There are, you, there are and, and many people who come here, many people come here in placement will talk about. There's probably twenty to thirty percent of people who are dangerous and need intensive um, supervision, for a better word, I suppose, within prisons. A custodial sentence and support would seem appropriate. Mm. I don't really have enough experience of that actually, but um, there are people clearly in category A's and AA's who, who really um, are, are very troubled individuals. So we accept there's a percentage there. Um, if I was prisons minister, I'd actually start to look towards, um, for some people I think a, a custodial sentence probably is correct, To if it's going to change or support change in someone's life but it doesn't have to be to be locked away we 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 we, we by locking people up over a period of years we smash their families to pieces you we could do other things people could go could be um could it could be weekend custodial people could hold down jobs during the week and keep family together but have a certain amount of time where perhaps they did i don't know, I mean it could be a whole series of thinking skills it could be lots of things going on i think people with drug addiction should not be incarcerated, they should be supported. I think people with clearly severe mental health issues should not be incarcerated in our prisons. They should they should we should have help for them. Um, I think again that that 
there are situations where people have fallen so far down that prison is the, is the last safety net for them. And that is often the case, actually. And if a court is just, if a judge, in my experience, most judges actually would prefer to do rehabilitation work. They're very limited to what they can do. So the, the policy dictates they send people down changing slightly with more communal sentences, but there's very little in the community to support anyone. So if you were given um, 200 hours and some rehabilitation activity requirements to help with your drug addiction, it's highly unlikely you're going to be able to get into a rehab. There just, there just is not that facility there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd look at that. Uh, it's it's bigger picture. It's changing our thinking that... and it. It's changing our thinking that prisoners should be just classed as offenders, end of. I mean, they have to be seen on a more individual basis. Mm. Now, if someone had murdered my daughter, um, uh, you know, you, your, your desire, I think, for some sort of punishment, retribution, I don't know, of course it's there, but for... That's not a very helpful angle to go down, actually. But but petty crime that's feeding a drug habit—that's because of drugs. Eighty-five percent. I'm pretty sure I would be inclined to legalise all drugs. I, I do change my mind on this quite a lot. I've very little sympathy for dealers. I've seen them trash mm. people's lives. Mm-hmm. There's two or three in top mess, <clears throat> and I, I simply cannot understand how we this all occurs, really. But um, but if you take the money out of drugs, then there, 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 there are no dealers mm. um, and the, the criminality would stop. And I think you'd probably empty the prisons because mm. 85% of thereabouts are drug related. But then would, I don't know, would everyone, would we all be off our faces? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is really. But. You mentioned you, you you mentioned before just about the, the, your reoffending rate. Can yeah, really interesting just to get that. Yeah, so that there's about four percent um, at the moment, and um, yeah, it's low statistically. That's very low. Where it could be anything between forty-seven and sixty percent. Um, and I think for youth offending, it's actually much higher. It's probably near seventy to eighty percent. Mm. Um, same people going around the system really. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there has been a lot of intervention aimed at what they call the revolving door situation. Um, I think, and I quite like the question, what would you do? Because it's really quite a big, mm. big problem. Mm. <laughs> um, but if imagination can could start to fundamentally allow people to look at situations in a different way, I think that would be... Mm. a great benefit to us all. Mm.